to improve the quality of life for all Maine people on the web at maincf.org. It's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Coastal Conversations with your host Natalie Springle is up next. Good morning, and welcome to Coastal Conversations on WERU. We explore issues facing Maine's coastal communities through dialogue with people who live, work, and play on our coast. From fisheries to tourism, from energy to environment, from economy to ecology, we go beyond the social media sound bites, probing deeply into complex issues and solutions. Coastal Conversations is produced with help from the University of Maine Sea Grant Program, whose mission is to support Maine's coastal communities through research, outreach, and education. In partnership with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and the University of Maine, Maine Sea Grant brings marine science to Maine people. We're about to engage in the heart and soul of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our coast and our communities. This is Natalie Springle from Maine Sea Grant, and I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour of Coastal Conversations. This morning, our topic is the beach and coastal beach water quality. It's summer on the coast of Maine, and residents and visitors are starting to flock to the beach. But sometimes, beaches are posted under a swimming advisory because of potentially unsafe bacteria has been detected in the water. We have some folks in the studio today who can help us understand the status of our beaches and certain town beaches and what we can do to ensure that they stay clean and open. So our guests today in the studio are David Kennedy, the Lincolnville Town Administrator. Hi, David. Good morning. And we also have Bob Kennedy, the Rockport Conservation Commission of the Rockport Conservation Commission. Good morning, Natalie. Hi, Bob. Thanks for coming. And then we have Carrie Kazor, who is the coordinator of the Maine Healthy Beaches Program with the University of Maine Cooperative Extension and Maine Sea Grant. Hi, Carrie. Hi. Good morning. Great. Um, and a little bit later on the phone, we will be joined by Steve Burns, who is the town manager from York. So we'll get a little bit of a southern Maine perspective, too. So um, this is the season of the beach, right? So people are starting to head to the beach. People are starting to swim. We're seeing a bunch of little kids swimming in the water. Um, and behind that, uh, the, the beach that we all go to is this whole system for um, hopefully ensuring that our beaches are safe for swimming. Carrie, tell us a little bit about the program. What is Maine Healthy Beaches? How does it work? And what's its purpose? Sure. Well, we have beaches from Kittery to Mount Desert Island that are monitored for bacteria, uh, primarily on a weekly basis, and our seasons from Memorial to Labor Day. So our three, you know, three months of summer. Um, and we test those beaches uh, primarily, again, to protect public health. And when um, a water quality sample is over the safety limit, uh, we recommend that towns and, and parks that participate in our program, we recommend that they post an advisory alerting the public of the potential risk of maybe getting sick from the water. Great. And um, how, do you, how do you inform the public? 
Sure. Well, it's uh, somewhat of a two-pronged system. We have an online um, access through our website. Um, we have this internal database that automatically transfer all of, all of our environmental data and our bacteria results live. So as soon as we have in, that information, it's posted on our mainhealthybeaches.org website under beach status and data. So there you can drill in to the actual numbers, the results for your favorite beach or a particular site. But you can also see what that status history is. For example, was that beach posted anytime recently? Is it posted today before you head out and make that trek to to your favorite location. We also um, have signage that's at all major access points to that beach and that resource. So we have this sign that says, you know, welcome, this is part of the Maine Healthy Beaches program. But if there's uh, um, data to support an advisory at that location, an overlay then is um, posted to alert the public of that potential risk. And before we jump in and hear a little bit more specifically about what's happening in Rockport and Lincolnville, give us a sense of the scope of beaches on the coast of Maine. How important are they? How many, you know, what percentage of our beaches are monitored? Sort of the big Mm. picture. Well, we currently have 60 beaches participating in our program, but it's important to note that it's a voluntary program at this point in time. Maine doesn't have the structure as uh, many states do to do this work. What I mean by that is typically um, there's local public health departments that paid staff go out, they collect these samples, they post the beaches accordingly. But Maine is unique for several reasons. And as it pertains to this program, we just don't have that structure or capacity. So we rely heavily on volunteers at the community level. And I say volunteers, that's you know, what you would think of uh, as a typical volunteer, somebody devoting their time, their precious time, but also lifeguards and paid staff at the local level collect these samples and help us do this work. Also, communities are not required to participate, so we engage. It's um, it's definitely a two-way street. It's a very strong partnership at the local level to get this work done. We also have many other partners at the state and federal level that inform our program through you know, an advisory capacity or helping us sort of figure out what the next step is when we do have problems at the shoreline. Um, but getting back to your question, the scope, it's, it's quite large. You know, Kittery from the you know, southernmost section of Maine all the way up to um, MDI is our scope. Okay. And um, the program doesn't go further east than MDI. Is that because there are just a lot fewer beaches? Yes and no. We Mm -hmm. don't have many laboratories that are, um, I guess, near the coast to do this work. Plus, our funding, which we write a grant to U.S. EPA at the federal level every year to get this, you know, to do this work. We're we're solely grant-funded, and our funding is primarily prescribed for your big, sandy, coastal beaches that have facilities and guards, adequate facilities and parking. And we've done quite a bit of survey work, and we have done some sample collection in Down East Maine. But typically that water's colder. There's less use of those resources compared to, say, York or Cumberland County, where they are very much the bread and butter and integral to those local economies. 
That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so we have in the studio with us representatives from a couple of different towns and local initiatives. Um, and uh, Carrie, we'll come back to you a lot, I'm sure. Um, but let's hear a little bit about Lincolnville. We have with us David Kennedy, who's the Lincolnville Town Administrator. And before the show, I think I heard him say that he's been involved in, and Lincolnville's been involved in work to... Um, protect Lincolnville's beaches and keep them clean and open for access for, what did I hear, 13 years? 12, I 12 years? Yeah. 12 years? Great. Well, let's imagine um, uh, that our listeners, apart from driving through Lincolnville and seeing the beach, they might not be super familiar with it. So paint a picture of what Lincolnville Beach is all about. Sure. Lincolnville and Lincolnville Beach is kind of your quintessential small main community. We have year-round just over 2,000 residents. And um, we vary from Lincolnville Beach proper, um, which we're talking about today. We have hiking opportunities, inland lakes, um, and really our, um, our resources are one of our primary economic drivers, our natural resources. People come to Lincolnville to, particularly in the summertime, to enjoy those. Um, and our primary concern is public health and safety. And we were approached by the Healthy Beaches uh, a dozen years or so ago and uh, signed up for the program. The Board of Selectmen chose to participate uh, because of the concern. We've had our challenges, uh, particularly a number of years ago, um, with some water quality issues. Uh, directly adjacent to Lincolnville Beach is a uh, freshwater um, brook, Frohawk Brook, that discharges into uh, the beach area. And certainly after uh, rainfall events, um, um, different bacteria is carried down the brook and out into the bay and impacts our um, water quality. And so we've been uh, very fortunate uh, with Carrie's help in the Healthy Beaches and some folks from the Department of Marine Resources and the DEP to um, do some searches upland um, looking for septic system problems. We don't have any public sewer systems. It's all privately handled there. Okay. And, and that, that is not necessarily the case for each town, right? So some towns have more public, some have private. And we'll hear from the Rockport situation later. Yeah. Um, so we're really, uh, we're really focused on trying to um, provide people with, that, with a healthy, safe experience. And we have been very fortunate. Um, we've seen our number of exceedances diminish every year. Uh, since we started in the program, and um, we hope that continues. What were some of the issues that you were facing when you first started? Yeah, we certainly have um, experienced uh, issues with faulty septic systems um, that we were able to um, uncover or establish. Sometimes the homeowners didn't even know their system was mm -hmm. malfunctioning. It's just kind of out of sight, out of mind, and the lack of maintenance on that. We also, um, we've had issues with wildlife. Uh, we've had issues with domestic animals. Uh, the town has adopted an ordinance uh, that prohibits domestic animals from being on the beach. Um, primarily, um, in the past, we've had issues with dogs and dogs doing their business on the beach. And we've even had horses on the beach. And so we try to limit that because um, of the the waste material that can come and then impact the water quality and ultimately get to us. Um, so, Carrie, can you give us a little bit of the picture on um, what are the concerns with human waste, animal, domestic animal waste, wild animal waste? What are we sort of paying attention to other than 
the obvious, it's kind of gross. Right. Well, we're, um, we're somewhat limited in the tools um, as far as doing this work. For example, enterococcus is the indicator, fecal indicator um, bacteria that we monitor for, and that tells us there's waste from the guts of warm-blooded animals, but they're not tell- it's not telling us what. You know, and when we're searching for the problems and trying to clean things up, we want to know, is it the dog waste? Is it the deer? Is it the human component? So we do have some other tools, we say, in our source tracking toolbox to kind of tease that out. Is it human? Is it not? And then that leads to some actions as far as surveying, as uh, David mentioned, properties looking for faulty septic systems or uh, working with pet owners to, you know, scoop their poop and dispose of it properly. Um, but all the the public health experts, the epidemiologists of, of the world, tell us that uh, the guts of warm-blooded animals, their waste all has a potential to make us sick, but we're mostly concerned about human sources of fecal pollution, human waste, and human illness. There's a stronger linkage there, and so we primarily focus on cleaning up the human sources of contamination impacting our beaches and water quality. And that's tricky because, as you've heard in the case of Lincolnville, they're not, they don't have any sort of municipal um, town, you know, taxpayer-supported infrastructure, say sewer lines. They're primarily um, reliant on uh, private septic systems. But even where we do have infrastructure, it's kind of breaking down. It's old. It's aging. Uh, some of these sewer lines are made of clay and asbestos, and they're just breaking mm. down. So it can be rather complex, and we don't have, again, sort of the tools to tease out, ooh, you know, to really pinpoint where the problems are coming from. But in many cases, this work uh, at the shoreline, this routine beaches program, has been kind of like the canary in the coal mine. And when we developed this program initially, we learned uh, very quickly that it wasn't enough just to monitor the shoreline, that we had to be committed to working with communities and parks to look upland in many cases, or in some cases look offshore. It could be people dumping their boat waste or a faulty sewage treatment Uh plant outfall. Um, But primarily we're concerned about land use and how it impacts water quality. And to sort of wrap this up, where we do see problems on our beaches, it's where the fresh water meets the sea. So your rivers, your streams, and your storm drains typically bring contaminants from upland areas down into the surf zone, down to the beach, especially when it rains. And, and let's come back to the rain in a few minutes. But I want to ask David a question. You said that you have, it's all private sewage, right? So it's, it's septic systems. There's not a municipal wastewater treatment plant in Lincolnville. Um, so it sounds like a detective story. How do you figure out where the problem is? You said that you guys have had improvements. How, how do you find where the problem is? Well, initially, um, we did some sampling of water as we worked our way upstream um, at, in, at certain intervals to try to bracket where uh, the waste might be coming from. Um, in other words, if you had a bad sample at the mouth and you went up 250 feet and you still were getting bad results, you went up 500 feet and you were getting cl- mm. good water quality, you knew that somewhere between zero and 500 feet up was your source. Um, from there, it's really um, door-to-door exercise um, with our code officer and plumbing inspector um, going, asking to make to do an inspection, explaining, <coughs> excuse me, explaining the situation. Um, homeowners 
typically are unaware of yeah. what they really have. And um, you do an inspection and you look for breakouts. You can do dye testing through um, introducing a colored dye into the uh, septic system to see if it comes out on the ground. Uh-huh. Um, and there are a number of other things. Oftentimes just walking around using your noses <laughs> and other senses, uh, you can discover things that people were really unaware of. Huh. And um, let's turn to Bob now. Bob Kennedy is on the Rockport Conservation Commission. Um, And I know that you've been engaged in a lot of sort of detective sleuthing to find the sources. But tell us a little bit about the scope of the Rockport Conservation Commission. What do you you guys do? And then uh, how does it connect to some of this water quality work? Sure. Well, the the commission uh, is a volunteer board that's appointed by the select board and uh, serves to sort of keep an eye on conservation-related issues in Rockport. Can we uh, identify concerns, uh, potential impacts, and uh, alert those who can uh, hopefully provide a solution for that? Uh, there is a, an ad hoc water quality committee, uh, which was formed recognizing that we did have a bacterial problem with the uh, Goodies Beach. Goody's Beach is um, a relatively small beach. It's maybe 200 feet in length. It's located uh, near the Harbor Master's office, not too far from uh, the inflow of the Goose River and associated with the marine park. So it's quite popular. Uh, there are a few opportunities for uh, sandy beach uh, activities. Uh, there are some lakes that are used. But in terms of a marine beach, this is pretty much all that we have Uh, in Rockport. So it's quite popular. It's used by uh, residents, uh, people who are visiting residents of Rockport and those who visit the marine park. So we might have, despite its uh, diminutive size, we might have a hundred people on a a sunny afternoon. Um, In 2009, when Maine Healthy Beaches first began sampling there, and the sampling in Rockport is done by uh, the Harbor Master's office uh, on a weekly basis. Uh, the samples are collected and taken to uh, the main Healthy Beaches lab for analysis. Uh, the results are available in 24 hours, um, and based on those, um, we might uh, post an advisory if the levels exceed uh, the expected uh, safe level. Um, that would also key uh, a, a second sampling and there would be consecutive daily samplings until uh, those concentrations fell to a safe level. And each time that it was above a safe level, uh, there would be an advisory posted. Um, it was difficult for us to determine the source uh, since we're close to the Goose River, which... So uh, you had some contamination you were trying to figure out. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but there's also a storm drain that discharges right next to the beach. Uh, As we looked uh, over two years' worth of data, it was clear that the relationship between high concentrations at the beach and high concentrations in stormwater through that drain were more closely related than were concentrations at the beach with those in the Goose River. So um, that prompted us to begin looking upstream, as David has described uh, the exercise in in Lincolnville. We do have sewers in this area. The area that drains to the beach is about 25 acres, has 39 homes, all of which are on a fairly new uh, sewer. Uh, 
uh, built, I believe, in, in somewhere in the mid-90s. And that's a municipal? So that's a municipal. Um, all of this flows to a pump station, and, and we don't have a sewage treatment plant in, in Rockport. Uh, so much of our sewage goes to Camden to be treated. Okay. Portions of it go to, to Rockland. The area that uh, would potentially drain into the beach uh, is collected and, and goes to, to Camden. So that's a, that's a very good system. Um, we, uh, recognizing th that there was the potential for leaks, um, the code enforcement officer uh, inspected all homes to make sure that, at least from the inside of the home, all of the uh, plumbing was to code. Um, and uh, the result of that was that, yes, they were all, all to code, which raised some questions about whether the bacteria, uh, which could be any warm-blooded animal, were, in fact, of human origin or perhaps animal. There is a five-acre wetland, which is uh, home to a lot of wildlife, and this, uh, following a rainstorm, it overflows, and it floods down towards, towards the beach. Uh, EPA did a, a survey uh, for pharmaceuticals and what mm. are called personal care products. These are um, non-pharmaceuticals that humans might use, caffeine, nicotine, huh. that, that might show up in, in human uh, waste. And of the 26 sites, um, the, uh, either the drain by the beach or the beach itself um, ranked quite high. Um, it was the highest for acetaminophen. Wow. And it was second highest for cotinine, which is a, a metabolite of nicotine. So while acetaminophen could be spilled on the, uh, on the street and washed down, um, cotinine has to actually be metabolized by the body. So clearly, uh, unless there were smoking raccoons, um, this was clearly an indication that we were dealing with a human source, at least partially dealing with a human source. So the idea that this was just related to pet waste and wildlife um, was sort of uh, brought, in, brought into doubt. So by finding evidence of caffeine or nicotine or acetaminophen, that is a f red flag that says there's human waste in our system. Right. Certainly the metabolites are. It's mm -hmm. conceivable that, you know, a McDonald's cup of coffee spilled on a gutter would, would show a, a caffeine signature. And there's caffeine in a lot of food that could end up being washed in and not necessarily be uh, related to sewage. But things that are metabolites, um, clearly... Can you define a metabolite? Well, it's, it's, uh, so it's, it's the changing of something you consume into something else that okay. might be excreted. Um, in the case of, of nicotine, it's something called cotinine, which is uh, um, analytically possible to detect in, in water. Wow. Um, so I'm, I'm hearing that, you know, we have a very uh, diverse approach to how we deal with our waste. So we have in Rockport a fairly new treatment system. We have in Lincolnville um, something that's made up primarily of private uh, sewage system, individual to your own town. How does that um, 
that just seems like it makes it really complicated to figure out what the sources are, what the solutions are. Um, Carrie, what's the, is that pretty common that from one town to the next? Because Lincolnville and Rockport aren't all that far away from each other. Is it, it's pretty diverse in terms of how we deal with our sewage up and down the coast. Absolutely. I mean, it's very site specific. Um, Oftentimes, some of the same sources, there's a thread throughout, whether it's infrastructure or septic systems. But getting back to when we see problems at the shoreline, mm-hmm. most often it's multiple sources compounding together to cause okay. a problem. Mm-hmm. And again, bringing it back to that rainfall connection. The rainwater picks up the dog waste, our kitty litter and the storm drains. Some people do that. Our septic system, uh, animal and other animal and wildlife waste, it all compounds and drains to the shoreline eventually. So oftentimes it's just not one or two things that are causing the problem. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes it's a vast array of sources, again, that are working together to cause exceedances on our beaches. And in some cases, as in Camden Harbor, which is uh, fairly, you know, sort of nested in between Rockport and Lincolnville. Um, we've done similar studies and in, in projects there, but w- there's also this boating component. And so they have a free pump-out boat, and we helped advertise that facility and help sort of raise awareness through a boater's education campaign that it's not okay to dump your waste offshore and that you should really be doing the right thing as far as disposing of that waste properly. And in some cases, we've implemented uh, pet waste um, education campaigns because mm-hmm. our data and the tools that we have to sort of understand the sources are really pointing to the pet component as being the, you know, the primary contributor. So I guess it just depends on the beach and the community. Yeah. Um, if you're just joining us, um, this is Coastal Conversations on WERU 89.9 in Blue Hill and 99.9 in Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. Our show today is about the beach and coastal beach water quality. And I'm joined in the studio. You just were hearing Carrie Kazor of the Maine Healthy Beaches Program. Uh, and we also have David Kennedy, who's the Lincolnville Town Administrator, and Bob Kennedy the Rock, of the Rockport Conservation Commission. Um, so we were just talking about rainwater. Um, and uh, I was wondering if one of our two town folks could give us a sense of what you've seen you know, let's let's look over here to Lincolnville. What what have you seen in terms of the correlation between rainwater events, so a big rainstorm or multiple rainstorms back to back, and what you're finding in terms of your beach water quality? Sure. The um, certainly with a heavy rainstorm, you know, of uh, an inch in a day or something like that, compared to maybe a summer shower, um, there's almost a direct correlation to poor water quality immediately following. If you can imagine the upland areas all washing what's on the ground downstream and coming out at the beach. Um, Mm -hmm. In our case, Frohawk Beach is directly adjacent uh, to the beach area. And um, if it's the day after a rain and we're sampling, um, invariably the water quality isn't as good as it's been after three or four days of good weather. Usually, uh, in our experience, um, within a tide cycle or two, um, if the if the uh, runoff is slowed and we have good weather, a couple of tide cycles, it seems to clear itself. Mm-hmm. So a couple of tide cycles, interesting. And how about you guys over in Rockport? What are you seeing as a correlation with rain? 
Well, it's quite strong. Mm-hmm. Um, we've monitored several storm events, and you can see this sort of first flush of uh, fresh water running across streets and sidewalks and lawns. So bacterial numbers are high on the beginning of the storm event. We've we've observed them to be um, anywhere from 1,000 to 10,000 times what the safe limit is wow. on the front end of the storm. Uh, so they're quite significant. Uh, we have two drains that, that actually combine to, to uh, come down towards the beach to, to a single pipe. Uh, one of those drains a wetland, and it's uh, quite different in its response than the one that drains just a street. The one that's a street is very flashy. Um, it rains hard, uh, runs hard, mm-hmm. concentrations are high, but the, the, the duration of that is quite, quite short. The wetland, however, serves as sort of a reservoir. It collects all of this and then slowly overflows, enters a storm drain, and down through the culvert. So the, the two sources for us are uh, respond very differently. Now, it's quite possible that the Goose River, which also experiences this rise of bacterial numbers on, during a storm flow event, uh, is, is, is providing some uh, potential sources to, to the beach. But it's so overwhelmed by these two drains that are very close to the beach. Uh, I suspect if we're able to control things, um, uh, storm runoff from these drains, uh, we'll still have to go back and reassess how important the river might be. Uh, we also monitor uh, Rockport Harbor, and we've included bacteria in our surface samples there. So we monitor the inner, middle, and outer harbor, and then we go all the way out to the Bell Buoy and Penobscot Bay. And after a good storm event, we found bacteria all the way out in Penobscot Bay. Wow. And surely in, in the um, inner harbor, we've had uh, problematic levels. Not, not often, but after a big storm, it will exceed the uh, safe criterion. I'm sure that this raises all kinds of questions for our listeners about is it safe to swim and how do I know? Um, And we'll get back to that in a couple of minutes. But first, um, we have Steve Burns on the line. Steve Burns is the town manager in York. Um, Steve, hi. Hi, how are you? Great. Thanks for joining us on the phone. Um, So uh, we've just been hearing some perspectives of folks in towns in the Midcoast area in terms of dealing with water quality issues at the beach. Um, And perhaps for our listeners, uh, Steve, you could paint a picture a little bit of what York looks like in terms of what's your beach like and what's your role in terms of the management of the beach. Sure. We actually have four uh, beaches along the ocean with the wonderful tropical North Atlantic currents for people to swim in. we have two relatively small beaches that are primarily uh, folks from around town use, and then we have long sands and short sands that draw in the huge summer crowds here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a huge part of the community here, the quality of life, uh, the expectations of people as you go to York to go to the beaches. That's really the big draw for us. Um, Essentially, um, we've known for years, we've been participating in Maine Healthy Beaches for years. Uh, it's a great program for us. Uh, and it's made us aware of the problems, particularly associated with rainwater. Um, so what we're seeing is that certain sites at different storm events will have different problems. Um, but clearly there's this issue that's associating storm events and uh, pollution at the beaches 
And we're now at a point where we post rainfall-based advisories as well as the advisories for testing in the water, uh, simply because it's such a predictable uh, matter. Wow. So, uh, do, so does that mean that when you after a rainfall you're posting so that people pay attention to waiting a while before going back in the water? Yeah, we created a new type of sign. It's the standard Maine Healthy Beaches sign, and they had two types of warnings, uh, a warning and a closure. So we'd used the warnings in the past based on testing in the water. Now we have a new one that says there's been rainfall in the last 24 hours. I think it's an inch or more. might be a half inch. I'd have to check on that. But there's been a significant amount of rainfall, and we have five beach management areas, long sands we split in two, and either two or four tide cycles to flush out those pollutants that come in from a half inch or more of rain. So it's taking a day or two before you're comfortable with encouraging people to go back in the water. Yeah. Me personally, I wouldn't hesitate to swim in it after a day. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the test, I'm not sure there's any real magic to the number 106 or 104 or whatever the the, uh, count is because my immune system is not compromised. I'm not a little kid and I'm not drinking the ocean water. But there are susceptible folks in the general population that we have to be careful for. Mm -hmm. Uh, So in general... The rule of thumb we've used for years now is wait a day after a big storm. Okay. And how are you finding, since you have such a high level of use um, down there on your beaches, from I'm imagining both residents and visitors, uh, how how are people receiving the advisories, the beachgoers? We've been doing them for years, and it's rare to get any feedback on those, at least to the town manager's office. Now, recognize I haven't been here through a summer yet as town manager. So it's just part of the beach experience. Yeah, it's just the beach management process. Uh, Basically, this part of Maine uh, is populated in large part by people who moved here from the north shore of Boston. Uh It's a huge Massachusetts crowd that's moved into the beach. People who came here liked it in the summers and moved here. Um, And a lot of the people that visit are from southern New Hampshire and the north coast of Boston. And there are beach advisories and postings. You know, you go farther south, that's just standard fare at public beaches that people want to know what the water quality is. They can get the information online through the web pages. There are signs posted at the beaches. And I think people have just come to expect that. And uh, how much stock they put into it, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm going to quickly ask Carrie a question while you're still on the line. Carrie, um, Steve was talking about the level um, of bacteria in the water. Can you explain that a little bit, the the number and what the number means? Sure, sure. And uh, just to step back a little bit, we get our guidance from US EPA at the federal level. So we're working under their guidelines currently. And 104 is the magic number. Anything above that is considered unsafe. And that's 104. What? Oh, I'm sorry. That's um, most probable number or colony forming units of bacteria. Okay. So it's the bacteria count per 100 milliliters of sample water. And so anything above that, there's an increased risk of getting sick from the water. But um, Steve brought up a great point. We're not all created equal in our uh-huh. in our risk. So typically, as your level of exposure increases, so say you take a wave, you get a nose full, it's in your eyes, in your mouth, you're ingesting the water, or say you have an open wound, those are some pathways of exposure. But also, we're mostly concerned about protecting the health of children, the elderly, or people that may not have, you know, great immune systems because they are at higher risk from getting sick from the water. So we're just advising the public of 
what all, you know, bacteria is everywhere. It's all over our bodies. It's in our environment. But we're just trying to give them an alert system to say, hey, it's a good idea to avoid water contact at this point. But getting back to these rainfall advisories, we're really pushing them um, hard lately because um, it was brought up earlier in the show that it takes at least a day to get those results. So essentially, mm -hmm. we're posting today's beach on yesterday's information. And in a highly dynamic system, a lot can change over the course of the time period. So what we're liking very much about these rainfall advisories is that we're not waiting for those results. We're just alerting the public. This is typically the worst-case scenario for water quality. It's ultimately their choice, but we're just the messengers as far as, you know, letting the public know. Great. And uh, Steve, to come back to you for a minute, um, who who in your town, so it sounds like the program is very volunteer-based. What what's driving folks to become involved in the program? It's actually not really volunteer-based. It's okay. been driven by the Parks and Rec Department and ah, by the Community Development okay. Department, uh, where the, the Parks and Rec Department has been a participant in the Maine Healthy Beaches Program and testing at the beaches, uh, particularly in the Cape Nettick River and at Cape Nettick Beach, which is one of those smaller local beaches. Uh, they saw a pattern very early on that there was just a perpetual problem with bacteria pollution at that uh, river, and they approached me when I was a department head in community development, which is planning and code enforcement, and said, we found the problem, you're the land use guy, you figure out how oh, to fix it. Okay. So since that point, we've hired a stormwater manager, um, we've engaged in active testing programs, we've done a watershed master plan for the Cape Nettick River uh, that's compatible with the Section 319 of the Clean Water Act standards. We hired UNH to do a study for the weather-based predictive modeling. There are all kinds of things going on because this is such a core part of our community. Uh, in general, I still look at the beaches and, and the water and think it's very clean. I'd rather swim here than the Jersey Shore. No offense <laughs> to anybody from Jersey, but I'd still rather be here. Uh, but we know we've got issues we've got to deal with. And it has been a very easy thing to convince people that we need to be on top of this. Uh, the Chamber of Commerce supports these efforts. Mm. Um, so we, we have used volunteers in the past to go out and do some of the sampling, particularly in the up, upstream areas of the Cape Nettick River. But for the most part, we know we've got pollution problems. You measure at the outfall, you know where it's coming from. You can map the watersheds and, and see where the problems are starting. Fixing them is the problem. <laughs> I was just going to ask you, actually, what, what are some of the challenges in uh, keeping your, your water clean? Um, you look at the study that was done for the Cape Nettick River. They said, you know, in ballpark numbers, they estimated roughly a third of the bacteria pollution was probably caused by old septic systems, a third of it wildlife and waterfowl, and a third of it from domestic animals. Not dogs on the beaches. It, it's our, the water's already polluted by the time mm. it gets to the beach. It's, it's dogs, you know waste in the yard that runs off, or on the street that people aren't picking up after it. Um, we've had complaints of people throwing cat litter out in the backyard, all kinds of things like that, or having people with chickens. And um, We don't have a major agricultural input into any of our water supplies down here, but there are these little home, uh, kind of home uh, chicken coops and things of that nature that could contribute. Uh, so it, it's really tough to get a handle on those things. We have identified a septic system that had a straight pipe into a catch basin. That's the easy one to fix. Mm -hmm. Or the failed septic systems, those are just very obvious. Um, we've gotten after septic pumping to make sure people are getting their tanks pumped out. Um, even that's tough where you've got you know, thousands and thousands of septic systems 
and trying to keep track of who's pumped, who hasn't. The septic pumpers have been awesome. They report to us every month and tell us who they've pumped, you know, what property, how much, where it went. Um, but we still have an underreporting population that just has not participated in that. And how does the uh, how does the the funding work? So you find uh, a non-compliant or a septic system in somebody's personal home that is not up to code, then it, uh, presumably it's the homeowner's responsibility to yes, get it cleaned unless, out. Unless their family income or household income is under forty thousand, they're not eligible for any kind of support. But underneath and, they are okay. Yeah, and there's some type of state funding, but we haven't run into an opportunity to even try that yet. And the cost of replacing a septic system in this part of the state, anyway, is pretty high. I know it's cheaper the farther away you get from the the uh, Massachusetts uh, urbanized area. Um, and we are the northern fringe of the Boston metro area, according to the Census Bureau. Uh-huh. And prices are high, so you might be spending fifteen or twenty thousand dollars if you're putting in a whole new septic system here. Yeah, this is a big so deal. Yeah, it it really is a huge deal. I can't imagine somebody coming knocking on the door and said, "Hey, you got to put in a new septic system in ten days." We can give you a ten day extension though, and it's gonna cost you probably fifteen grand. Yeah. That's a tough one. So we are actively working with our uh the York sewer district trying to figure out how to do major expansions of public sewer. But mm-hmm. we still have huge areas of small lots right near the ocean that are on septic systems. And it's not a real sandy soil down here, like the town of Wells is a big giant pile of sand. Anything will leach there. Here it's basically clay and mud and ledge. And that's it. There really isn't good soil for septic. So the area is very overbuilt from a septic perspective. I see. So the long-term fix is more public sewer. Okay, more public sewer. Got it. Well, thank you, Steve, for for joining us on the call. It's really interesting for those of us in the Midcoast and Down East to get your southern Maine perspective. Thanks a bunch. You're welcome. Take care. Thanks. Um, So if you're just tuning in, you're um, listening to Coastal Conversations, and our topic today is the beach and coastal beach water quality. Um, And um, we do have some time for folks to call in if you have any questions about whatever it is that you're seeing on the beach or ways that you could get involved in any of these programs or how to do your part in your own community to keep keep the beach clean. Um, I know I've already sort of been paying attention to um, from hearing from these guys, how I deal with my dog's waste. Um, that's a good one. I'm learning. So um, the number here, if you want to call in with a question or a comment, is one 625 9378 That's 1-866-625-WERU. Um, so... Uh, what so, so it was interesting to me to hear how uh, York is in just a whole different ballpark, you know, much bigger beach, um, many more users, but in some ways kind of connected to Rockport in that the beach is a really critical part of the community. Um, what are you seeing in, in that realm, Bob? The beach plays a pretty important role in your community. Oh, I think absolutely. It, it plays a, a, a big role in the community. I, I, people value it. Um, Despite the fact that we post an advisory, um, people are still drawn uh, mm-hmm. to the beach and st- still use it, which says to me they don't – they're very interested in using the beach. They enjoy it, and um, there aren't too many other options for them. Right. And how about in Lincolnville? Lincolnville is certainly a uh, a draw. I mean, mm-hmm. it's right on Route 1. So you can't miss it. It's uh, one of the first places you can actually see the ocean as you 
proceed north on right. Route 1. Town has a parking lot right there. It's directly accessible. Um, people travel. It's amazing. You go, I, My office is six miles from the beach, but I go to the beach periodically, and you see people there from all around the country, and they just stop and park and get out and just look at the ocean. Um, you know, there's lobster boats. There's the ferry to Islesboro there. There's all sorts of activities at the beach. Um, certainly, there is um, some interest in signage. I've been known to put up the sign myself that posting an advisory or take it down. And people quiz you, what are you doing? What does that mean? Um, which is always an interesting conversation. But a lot of people, um, they recognize the advisory and they still choose to use it. Yeah, that's that's a, an interesting, sort of makes you shudder a little bit. <laughs> um, I think that we have a caller, um, Jane from Orono. Welcome to the show. Yes, good morning. Good morning. I was wondering if all these uh, nice citizens that you have on your panel and others could potentially start up a statewide coastal uh, clearinghouse or some way to organize each community that there are people in the community who would be responsible for um, telling the observations that they have on the conditions of their beaches and maybe taking samples and so on instead of all these expensive grants and all of this other stuff, which I think needs to go on but is not that effective in the here and now. So that's all I have to say. Thank you. Thank you, Jane. Um, that's a great question. I think what you're getting at is um, if there's a way to have uh, towns and communities and volunteers and parks sort of work together in a centralized way, if I'm interpreting that question correctly. Um, and maybe this is an opportunity for Carrie to maybe explain sort of the scope of the program that is in place and what you see are needs that might be identified in the future to address Jane's question. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you, Jane. Um, well, that's essentially what this program does, in a sense. We provide that unified structure to do this work, to test the beaches in a quality-assured manner, as well as notify the public when you know conditions may be unsafe. But what I get really excited and passionate about as far as my work is that when there are problems, we're kind of the connector, You know, we bring in multiple departments within a community, and then we bring in diverse partners at the state and federal level to come together at the same table and focus on the problems and thinking creatively about solutions. So we are really crossing some pretty tricky boundaries and coming together to promote clean water. And we see that time and time again with this program that – Um, You know, there's a lot of innovation coming out of it, too, as far as, you know, we're limited in our tools. How can we look at this issue differently and try to find solutions in a collaborative sense? And a lot of our work with this program has been focused on building that local capacity to address pollution problems because, sadly, there's very limited funding at all levels to fix the problem. So how do you proceed knowing that? And, um, you know, I just, I don't want to, you know, go too far in a different direction, but getting back to these rainfall advisories, you know, let's protect the public's health, even, you know, let's not wait for the data. That's kind of an innovative thing. That's a step forward. You know, we're being extra uh, cautious and precautionary. 
Great. Um, David? I'd just like to chime in on Jane's question a little bit. Um, in Lincolnville, we have a contractor who cleans the beach on a daily basis, walks the beach to see if there's, you know, picking up trash and any odd things that occur. That happens um, roughly at 6 o'clock in the morning, mm. and it's every morning all summer long. If something is truly unusual, uh, the contractor that does that is in touch with me. We have, um, in addition to Carrie's website, when we have an advisory, we have a, an email notice system that if people have signed up, we'll send them the advisory directly to the email. Um, so there are a lot of things going on beyond just the program to um, try to watch out for the public health and safety. Great, great. Um, and I think, th- thank you, Jane, so much for your question. Um, I think this is a great opportunity. Um, if you guys want to share, could you share the, the website again, Carrie, in terms of where people can find information? And then um, let's talk a little bit about what the average c- citizen can do in their community to help address beach clean cleanliness. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Certainly. That's mainhealthybeaches.org. And if it's okay just to squeeze a little thing in yeah. here, we've been focused primarily on the problems, right? The worst case scenario, it's that rainfall linkage, that bacteria rainfall relationship. But I just, I sort of want to close with Maine's beaches in general are very, very healthy. And one of the first things we do when we have a high bacteria count is go out and resample that location to see if it's cleared. And on average, about 98% of the time, those resamples are clean. So it's telling us that. It's flushed out. It's left the system. And so, yes, we have problems, and we're trying to predict and inform the public when those, you know, that scenario occurs. But overall, Maine's beaches are, are pretty mm-hmm. darn healthy. Great. How um, – what are the symptoms in terms of if someone has contracted some sort of a disease or something from bacteria? What, what do you feel? What do you – what does it look like? Most common is GI you know, illness, intestinal problems. Uh, uh-huh. You could have flu-like symptoms, ear, nose, throat, eye infections, skin infections. And then it could be much more serious. You know, you can get a, a whole suite of pathogens, pathogenetic bacteria and viruses from dirty water. Um, but again, most of us won't get sick. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of tricky, this public health piece. Again, we're mostly trying to protect those that are at highest risk, like the children and the elderly and the immunosuppressed. Mm-hmm. Great, great. Um, so what can people do to avoid getting sick? Those that, the, that group that is potentially more susceptible, what can the average person do? Pay attention to the closures is really the primary message. Right. Avoid the water when it rains. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter if you're at a beach or jumping in the harbor. That I'm fairly confident that relationships everywhere along our shoreline. Um, but getting back to what people can do, maintain and properly, uh, you know, pump out those septic systems. I have a sense that oftentimes the bad practices are happening in upland areas. People are not aware that that's leading to uh, beach advisories and, in many cases, closures of our valued shellfish growing areas along the coast. Uh, most often, the sources that are, imp- you know, they're the same, impacting both of those those resources. Uh, 
pick up your dog waste, you know, mm-hmm. um, maintain, you know, don't put kitty litter in the, in the storm drain. And again, getting back to that septic system, you know, you can't put grease down it. You can't put bleach. You know, I grew up in the Midwest. We didn't have to deal with septic systems. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's a whole new ball game as far as they need some care and feeding. You have to treat them well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you guys in your towns approach someone, this is this is a little bit lingering from the conversation we just had with Steve, and you approach someone with sort of the news about you're going to need to do something about your septic system, how's that received? A lot of times that's um, received with surprise. Yeah, I um, bet. If it's out of sight, out of mind, and it seems to be working, uh, people just are unaware. Yeah. And, um, you know, there is quite the shock factor in terms of cost, but our plumbing inspector works with people to, um, in several cases, we've been able to obtain grants to help um, low-income people replace septic systems. Great. So we'll work with you as best uh-huh. we can, but you need to do your part, too. Yeah, it's part of the responsibility of being a landowner mm-hmm. and a homeowner. How about you in Rockport? Well, of course, we're on, on a, a municipal yeah, sewer, so, so it's, it's less of an issue. different that, issue. There are some issues that occur. Some of the people are below grade, which means that their, their plumbing is basically uh, below the level of the sewer at the street. So they would have to – Okay. there's maybe 10 homes that have to pump up into the sewer. And, yeah. And, um, those can fail um, and overflow. So people need to be cognizant of, of – how their system's uh-huh. doing. Uh, it's less of a problem for people who are there year-round, uh, perhaps more of a problem who, for homes that are only occupied uh, for, for part of the time. Right. But, but f- for us, um, it, it's, it's not as much about uh, septic systems, at least with regard to Goody's Beach. There are areas in the town that do have septic systems, and that would be a concern uh, for those areas. I think we have one final caller. We have just less than a minute for a comment or a question um, from Peter, who um, hosts the World Ocean Observatory. Hi, Peter. We have hey, less than a minute. Doing? Great. Okay. Thanks for your call. I think, uh, why do people enjoy the beach? We, we talk about it, but we actually never really fully articulate it. And it's because of it represents a kind of freedom. Uh, from all the travails of, of modern life. You go to the beach to get away from, the other, from everything else that impedes your life. And we call it recreation, but take that word apart. It's recreation. And therefore, the beach is a sacred place, just like the ocean is a sacred place. And therefore, we have a justification for sustaining it and for maintaining it and for keeping it clean and keeping it open so that everybody can go there to worship. You are getting a lot of nods in the studio here from our guests. Um, Carrie, do you have a closing thought or comment? Well, I do, and thank you, Peter, for that. Thank you, it's Peter. It's great to be reminded. Um, and I you know, do have to say that you know, we're grant-funded. We're trying to do the most that we can with the funding that we get through this work, but we are slated to be cut, and that's a big 
uh, concern because we're trying to have these meaningful outcomes and keep these beaches safe and healthy for those experiences, valued um, spiritual experiences. So, And when you say cut, you mean the federal funding is slated to? Yes, indeed. Okay. So we have funding, of course, for this year. We're hoping, you know, it's in the works for next summer, but 2017, um, the fiscal uh, 2016 budget at the federal level has a zero line, and mm-hmm. Congress has restored those funds in the past. This is, I think, the fourth year we've been uh, cut, just, you know, taking it all away. So uh, we're very concerned about keeping this this program going because it would simply go away. We Everything hinges on this federal grant. Yeah. Yeah. Any final thoughts from our guests? I'd just like to say from Lincolnville's perspective, we've kind of aired out a little bit of our dirty laundry here, <laughs> but it's not all gloom and doom. Yeah. Come and enjoy the beach. Check out the website um, prior. Look at the signage when you come. But um, it's not all gloom and doom. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great point. And what was said earlier that despite everything we're talking about, Maine's beaches are actually a lot cleaner than other areas, right? How about from Rockport? Final thought? Well, I, I, for Goody's Beach, while we're still sort of uh, trying to figure out whether, in fact, there is a human source, um, it, it still comes down to people taking care of pet waste. Mm. Um, this is a, a pet-friendly part of the world. And in Rockport, um, an awful lot of dogs uh, walked uh, through the area that drains to the beach. Um, we have uh, eight uh, poop stations with bags and disposal Great. that people can use. Disturbingly, however, uh, we still find uh, pet waste on roadsides and driveways and sidewalks and the really baffling part is that some people will uh, pick up the poop in a bag only to toss it in the bushes Mm. Um, so the more people can sort of make the mental connection between what uh, the habits they and their dog have and what's going on at the beach um, I think will be will go a long way towards solving many of the problems that we have great Thanks. Thanks so much. Um, We have unfortunately come to the end of our hour, um, the end of Coastal Conversations today about the beach and how to keep our beaches safe and healthy for swimming and the wildlife that inhabit it. Um, I'd like to thank our guests for their time and their good work. Um, In particular, I wanted to thank um, Bob Kennedy from the Rockport Conservation Commission, David Kinney, the Lincolnville Town Administrator, Carrie Kazer from the Maine Healthy Beaches Program at the University of Maine Cooperative Extension and Sea Grant, as well as Steve Burns for our Southern Maine perspective. He's the Yorktown manager who called in. Um, thanks also to Jane and Peter for your comments um, and for calling in. Um, and thanks to all who listened. Um, Coastal Conversations is produced with support from Maine Sea Grant at the University of Maine, bringing marine sciences to Maine people. Join us from 10 to 11 a.m. on the fourth Friday of each month. On the second Friday of each month, you can still catch Talk of the Towns, that long-standing WERU public affairs program that inspired Coastal Conversations. Our show's theme music, A Following Sea, was composed and performed by Paul Anderson. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering the program. And stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Natalie Springle from Maine Sea Grant, the host of Coastal Conversations, wishing you a good morning.